and welcome to the 2020 season of the Business Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adila Afiz, the Global Business Whisperer, and I'm so excited you're here today. The Business Whisperer podcast is about helping you tap into the brilliance and ability that you have to create your life and your business intuitively, authentically, and successfully. Each week, we bring you tools, tips, information, and guest interviews to help you do just that. So if you are ready to download some of this business whispering magic into your life and business, stay tuned because you're in the right place. Hello, Business Whisperers, and welcome to an interview episode of the Business Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adela Rafiz, and today we're speaking to Jasmine Norrie, who is the owner and designer behind the handbag business, Wicker Darling. It's based in Melbourne and is now an online global business, which was established in 2018. And it was born from Jasmine's very specific desire to have a pink flamingo in her personal collection of novelty wicker handbags. Her ongoing goal is to continue designing unique, original, and most importantly, fun handbags while balancing customer needs with ethical considerations. So for all of us who are creating businesses that were born from a desire to either have something for ourselves where we realized or recognized that there was something that we wanted or were looking for that we couldn't quite find, And if we were looking for it, maybe there were other people looking for it. And maybe this is a great business idea or that has some potential. This is exactly the journey that Jazz takes us through as we dive into this episode. So I invite you to settle in and listen to a great story about creating a really unique and authentic business like Jazz has done. All right. So a very warm welcome to you, Jazz. How are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I um, When I heard about your business and then kind of looked into what you were creating, not only is it so cool and unique, but to hear you being able to create your life doing something that you love and I'm not sure but you know during the episode we'll get into whether or not you had much um, kind of negative or a bit of dissuasion people saying you can't do that or it probably (laughs) won't work but you know that's exactly what we're about here on the Business Whisperer podcast is hearing about your success stories that have been created Um, by you just creating your life and your business in a really authentic and intuitive way. So welcome and uh, tell us about you in your own words. Who are you and how did you get to where you are today? (laughs) Yes, I'm Jasmine and I run a business designing very niche novelty wicker handbags. So it's a really very narrow, specific sort of thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess I have always liked pin-up sort of style fashion and I like a lot of bright colours and things like that and I had this particular love for novelty wicker handbags and eventually I just thought this is probably something I could do myself <laughs> and that's where it was all born. So basic, 
So basically something that you were looking for or you would buy yourself and you went out and you created it for yourself and now yeah. others? Yeah, yeah. So I have pink hair, which is a very, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very random specific thing to say, but I have pink hair. I really love pink clothing, everything like that. And it was in my head, like the one bag that I really need to complement my outfits or these pin-up outfits I wear is obviously a pink flamingo. Um, <laughs> really specific urge for pink flamingo get bag. And I couldn't find one anywhere. I spent probably a good couple of years just sort of buying other wicker bags, but always on the lookout for a pink flamingo. Um, and yeah, just at some point, I think I mentioned earlier that I was doing a criminology degree at the time. Um, and it wasn't really satisfying me. And I just, had this moment of I could design a pink with a flamingo bag myself and I don't think I'd be the only person that wants something like this um and yeah that's where it sort of that's where it came from basically I didn't want to be doing this criminology work anymore I wanted to go and design like a handbag that I myself would wear and use how far into your criminology degree were you at this point so it was a master's in criminology and I was about halfway. I was a full year into it. It's a two-year degree. Oh, my um, gosh. Amazing. And were you also, were you working at the time as well while you were doing your master's or was that no, full time? No, I was very fortunate to be <laughs> but I turned my back on it. I had a few scholarships to support me at the time um, and I just walked away from it. I put it on hold. I think I contacted them and I said I'd like to take a temporary leave of absence in which time I was going to see if I could actually put these handbags into motion and um the, the bags took off like really well and I was like gee I think this is going to work and yeah after that I pulled out of the degree so that that's gone now I'm I've, I've quit it and I don't like saying I'm a quitter but I did quit the degree I'm not going back to it that that's amazing. Before you started creating um, these wicker handbags, w- was there many on the marketplace? Like when you were searching for other wicker handbags, were they easy to find, or is it quite um, a limited kind of market? There's not a lot of them. I think it's one of those things where if you know, you know. Um, but you certainly wouldn't just randomly walk into shops and find them. Um, a lot of them are vintage designs, so they sort of pop up in vintage shops or, you know, online vintage shops and things like that, but they're normally not in the best condition because um, right. they're 50, 60-odd years old. Um, but, yeah, there's a couple of different, like Kate Spade does the novelty wicker bags as well. Um, I think every now and then you'll see a random designer I think maybe Gucci have done a couple of things that are vaguely in that realm. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's certainly not a common sort of thing. So did you know the first thing about creating, designing and producing a handbag or how how did this progress? How did you go from concept to product? I don't have any experience in designing with a bag. I think a lot of people are had these questions from people like, how long does it take to make a bag? And I'm like, I've got no idea. I don't do that. I'm not in that side of the actual hands-on making of the bag. Um, I think my first ever design was this 
level of a flamingo with these hand scrolls dimensions and, you know, make the bag pink with brown leather handles. Um, and that was, that was ostensibly, that was my sample, that was my technical spec. And I sent those to so many different, I just used Google, I was looking for different, um, I didn't even know what sort of, how to look for what I needed. I was, you know, you just on Google and you random words like wicker production, wicker manufacturer, handbag, that sort of thing. Um, and it took a long time to find what I was looking for. Um, and then when I finally did find a few different options, I just sent them a photograph of this terrible hand scribbled sketch of mine. Um, and a lot of them knocked me back because they just, no, we do regular wicker bags, like picnic baskets. We don't do these novelty shapes. Um, and then, yeah, I found one. Someone just said, yep, we can do that. That's great. Let's go ahead. And I have had to learn how to communicate my ideas a little bit more effectively with them. Mm-hmm. And I do now actually have someone who does the formal. Um, I still send her my terrible sketches <laughs> and my measurements and things like that. But she turns my idea into technical specs that can actually be used. Did you find your very first producer um, in Australia or overseas? No, they're all overseas. I don't, to my knowledge, there's nobody in Australia um, who would be able to do it. Um, So my, the ateliers are all in the Philippines because this style of weaving baskets from Rattan is a very traditional Filipino sort of thing. So that was one of the things I looked into. I was like, where are these bags made? Who's doing them? And there's, there's sort of a Southeast Asian thing. So I was able to at least narrow down my search. And I settled on the Philippines because I like the style of the weaving best. Right. Um, so that's where it's been done. How nerve-wracking was the uh, wait between kind of giving someone your order and waiting for that first bag to see whether or not it actually looked anything like what you were hoping or not? Yeah, so I did actually have one group who was supposed to be working on a sample and I waited probably six weeks, you know, very excited because they they, they had said they can do the flamingo. Um, And six weeks later I follow up. And they send me this very generic cat face bag. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a flamingo. And they just sort of replied and said, no, it's not a flamingo, but it's a cat and it's very cute and very trendy. And I was, but it's not a flamingo. And it was obviously something that I suspect is bulk produced in China somewhere. And I was just, oh, just blasted six weeks of my time Mm. um (laughs) wasted but when I found the other group in the Philippines um I think it was much faster it might have been three or four weeks and they sent me the initial um just the shape of the bag it wasn't painted it didn't have any of the handles or other finishing just the shape and the flamingo was spot on and it was just such a it, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, I think this is actually going to turn out okay. So it was, a, it was a really good feeling to see that, even though it wasn't painted or anything. I was like, that's exactly what I'm after. So that was really good. 
At this point, had you invested, um, apart from time, which we all know how valuable time yeah. and energy is, but had you invested much financially or were you still? No, no, at that point, no. Um, I was lucky because they only accept money for the sample once you sort of get it be okay. Um, so at that point, it, it was fine. Like I was very deliberate about I'm not going to invest any money, um, in terms of like branding and all of that, none of that happened until I saw a completed sample. So, it, I mean, you know, minimal, minimal cost on sort of eventually paying for that sample. At so, this point, yeah, up until that point, no. At this point, are you still doing your master's in criminology? No. Okay, so no, you're not. you've already dedicated no. yourself to creating these wicker handbags, and now you're going through the process of of seeing how you can actually do that. Yeah, pretty much. Like I stepped back from that. I was just like, this is this is going to work. So I think I left it to officially withdraw. I left it a full year um, before I actually made it all formal. I, I guess out of caution, basically. Um, but yeah, it was at that point. Yeah, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going back to this degree. I was enjoying this so much more, and I was teasing. Um, I'm on Instagram, and I had a fairly large following on Instagram, so I'd been teasing people with what was coming up. And while I didn't reveal anything, there was sort of just from the little teases I was sharing about what was going on. I was confident that this was going to work out okay. <laughs> so yeah. Is this was this your first kind of play into having your own business or creating something for sale? No, no. So um, I think around 2012 until 2015 or 16, I actually had a very small business offering custom-made swing skirts. Right. Um, so we just choose random fabrics and we post them to Instagram and we would say, you know. If you want a custom skirt made in the fabric, just let us know. It was very small. It was limited by the fact that I was actually, my mum was doing the sewing for me. Um, but that gave us a real, or it gave me a real feel for, um, I guess, to some extent, business. It's, it's such a different um, kind of business that I'm doing now, and it's run completely differently. But it did give me a feel for, I guess, my customer base, because a lot of my old skirt customers are now my bag customers. Right. Um, so we're, we're all people that have the same sort of aesthetic pin-up fashion and style and knowing those customers as I did, that's what was part of making me feel so confident that these handbags were going to work. Right. Amazing. And is this an Australian database or is this global? Oh, yeah, we're posting internationally everywhere so it's been pretty amazing actually you know sometimes we get like an order from Finland or the Netherlands and stuff like that and I'm like wow these bags are going everywhere now oh that's amazing oh my gosh so um talk me through because we're going to be having listeners right now who are thinking gosh 
you know, I have an idea or I have a concept or I have a business that I would love to go all in on, but I really don't feel like I can leave my job or leave what I'm studying or or leave whatever it is that I'm currently doing where there is some sort of plan or safety and security and go all in. So at this point for you, when you're kind of making this transition, you've got your first sample, but there's no money coming in. Um, is it complete? Is it just the faith is so strong? Like your heart is just, it knows it's going to work. So um, you're going ahead or is, or is it quite a calculated uh, choice or decision how are you navigating oh. through that scary period before you get any kind of reassurance that it's going to work out oh it was oh gosh um a bit of both like I really was very confident that this flamingo was going to work and I think again because it's you know like um you think mid-century retro sort of stuff, that flamingo is such an icon of mid-century style, like Palm Springs and the little garden flamingos, you know, the plastic, the plastic flamingos you yeah. see in the garden. Yeah. And I just don't know if there's any other design that is that iconic of that sort of vintage retro look. Um, so if the bag had been like maybe... I'm looking at the other bags I've got. If I'd started with an elephant, for example, I don't know that I would have been that confident. But I just felt it's pink, it's a flamingo, and it looked so cute. Um, so so I, I think to some extent it was both faith and calculation there, basically. It was a meeting of both of them. That's um, amazing. That's brilliant. So how long then until you start being able to, like what was the response like then? You you get your sample off, you approve it, so you get, what is it, your, an initial shipment? Is it a small um, consignment order? What's going on then? So this is where I was very calculated about what I was going to do because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't about to financially destroy myself. <laughs> Um, that was really important to me because I've just come off the back of a couple of scholarships at university. I had very little to fall back on if I had messed this up for myself. Um, so I had that first sample and I offered it by pre-order, which was the safest way I could think to do it, was just to let people invest and let that investment basically pay for the first round of production. Um, so I was able to pay for the sample myself, but yeah, I got the sample, it was photographed, and I did the photography, and it was embarrassingly bad, I'm surprised <laughs> anybody wanted the bag based on it, but I think the point there is, the bag itself is what worked, it was such a solid design that I was able to share it with people uh, on Instagram, and I just said, this is available for pre-order. I gave a couple of weeks notice where I said pre-order is going to open on this date. If you like the bag, I encourage you to, you know, pre-order it. I made it very clear that there would be like a three or four month um, turnaround time on that, on the production. Um, and I think a lot of the people who did initially invest in that bag were old customers of mine, so it wasn't such a huge leap of faith for them. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I, the thing for me is the atelier who were doing the bags, they had a minimum order quantity 
and it was very, very reasonable. And I was aiming for a certain number and we got that number of pre-orders just. Um, so it sort of, it worked out. It worked out, that calculated risk basically. And yes, because of that, we were able to go ahead. That's amazing. And wow. And so since then, since that initial pre-order working out, and so what's the business model now? Do you design um, a new design each season or how many bags do you have in production? And how does your business model work now? We are actually still doing pre-orders and we've ended up, like, I always like to keep in contact with my customers, my followers, and make sure that I'm doing what they want. And while I think everybody can agree that it would be much nicer being able to purchase and have the bag directly shipped out immediately, like that would be lovely. What we find is, um, again, I'm constantly polling people and saying, are you still happy with this pre-order system? Um, People are happy with that. And we think that comes down to... um, I'm not sure how familiar people are with the brooch community as an example, (laughs) but what quite often happens is a brooch, for example, is launched on a particular night and they sell out within seconds Um, and a lot of people miss out. And because it's an international community, what happens is people might be at work on one side of the world or they're Mm -hmm. asleep. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if they're told that the launch of these brooches is happening at 8 p.m., um, Melbourne, Australia time, all these other people end up missing out or they stay up late at night or they sneak out of the office to try and place an order for a brooch that they really want and they miss out. Like, you know, if you've been awake at 3am trying to get this brooch and you still miss out, that is an awful feeling for them. Um, so with the bag, we've just sort of said, we're not going to do that to you. We don't want you staying up at 2 or 3am and then missing out on one of these bags because it's really hard for me to predict how well bags are going to sell. Some of the designs just go absolutely nuts. Everybody wants them. And then other bags, they don't sell as well. And it's really hard for me to predict when that's going to happen. But by doing the pre-orders, we're only ordering as many bags as we need. And people have time to place the order when they want to do so. So we've stuck with that a couple of years after that initial first round. And that's what works for us at the moment. So yeah, we're still a very similar model. Um, in terms of we're still settling in in terms of the pattern. What I'm trying to go for is releasing two bags a month. We give people, you know, a few weeks to preview the bag and we say this is when pre-orders will open and then they can set that in their diary and they know to come back and that's when the bag will be available and they have four days to place their pre-orders. We allow payment plans, which is my way of sort of saying I know that it takes four to six months for these bags to arrive with you. So I'm happy for you to take your time paying. So they've got these payment plans because the bags, they're not cheap bags either. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try and just work with the customer to make it a good experience for them. Have your order quantities increased dramatically since that very first pre-order that you put through? I wouldn't say dramatically per se, but I would say more reliably um the the number is definitely increasing um so that first round of flamingos we only got 25 orders um which is fine that's great we recently released a cat and that sold 150 that's amazing Um, so the cat was 
the other end of the extreme. Basically, that was like overwhelming. I was shocked by that. I had no idea we'd sell that many bags. I mean, I knew cats would be popular, but that was, whoa, okay, this is, well, we'll be doing more cats in future. But, you know, we're sort of, most um, collections of bags when they're released, it'll be somewhere between that um, more than 25, but very rarely close to 150. But enough that we're happy and we sort of each month we look at the design and we take a bit of a guess about how much or how many bags we want to sell of each. And sometimes um, what I try to do is release an older design, um, one that we've done before, and I normally match that up with a new design that's fresh because we've got customers going back over two years and we don't want them getting bored mm. with constantly you know, recycling old designs. But we also have people that have only just started following and they're like, hey, I'd love to have a flamingo. Will you be bringing them back? And I'm like, yep. The flamingo, we've done four different flamingo releases over the last two years and it's still reliably very popular. Are so they always pink? I the ball with that. Are the flamingos always a pink bag? So far, it has always been pink, yes. We sort of change up the shade of pink. We change the style of the bag a little bit this year. But, yeah, it's always pink. We have sort of had a few requests for a Halloween flamingo next year, and I've got a couple of ideas for how I think that would look. That's amazing. So are you still kind of scribbling things down, you know, as you get inspired? Are you coming up with the main concepts or color schemes and then getting help to kind of polish off that finished look? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the time customers are sort of messaging and saying, hey, have you designed a fox or would you consider doing a fox or a look at one of the old designs and we've got a unicorn design and we just change up the colour of the hair every time we release it. Um, so a lot of people are like, I'd love a flamingo with black hair or green hair and I'll take that information, sorry, I'll take that information on board and I'll decide whether I think um, it's feasible because I'm always, I, I have to keep in mind whatever I do, I need to believe that a certain number of these bags will sell. Yes. Um, and quite often people will make these really obscure suggestions and I'm just like, oh, you'll be lucky. Um, but other times someone will suggest something and I'll be like, there's a bit of a pattern to this. We've had quite a few people that are asking for this particular design. And sometimes, again, it's still every now and then I'm like, gee, I really like this particular thing and I'm going to design it regardless of however many people are likely to want it. But, yeah, I'm constantly scribbling ideas and getting inspiration from random birds and things like that. That's amazing. So this is now your full time and is it your only yeah. is it your only gig that you're doing right now, the only business that is taking up your time and energy? Yeah, in terms of income, this is it. This is my full-time job. I homeschool my son full-time as well, so I'm sort of wow. my work is around homeschooling him and his hours um but yeah this is this is the money maker how I live that's amazing and how has the business grown in terms of um you taking on more staff or uh contractors where uh, where are you at now with um yeah that's something we've had to do this year (laughs) because it was between the homeschooling and what's going on with in terms of increased interest and growth and all of that, 
Um, the Instagram numbers, followers on Instagram, have doubled this year. Um, wow. So there's a lot more interest. Um, yeah, so... Is that because friends. you've been doing something? Like, have you been, um, you know, targeting ads or have you been putting yeah. a lot of revenue into your advertising? Yeah, we've been boosting a lot of the Instagram posts. And I think that's, so far that's pretty much been it. It's just Instagram um, targeted ads and things like that. And it's been very successful, especially more so. Um, this year was a year where I was like, I can finally afford to start paying other people to do these things mm, for me. Mm. Um, up until that point, I'd always been a bit, I, I just don't know if it's worth investing any of the money in doing these things. Um, because the, the business was doing well, but I always felt like at any moment it could stop. There was always that insecurity um, that something like that might happen. And this year it has just really taken off. And I was like, you know what, we're doing pretty well. Um, so I think I'm going to start paying for a professional photographer and we'll see if this professional photography elevates anything. And it has definitely, I believe, it has been a worthwhile investment in getting a professional to photograph the bags. I think the imagery looks amazing now, especially if you compare it to my horrible photos in the past. Um, that's been really good. I paid for a professional rebrand yeah which was a huge investment and that's one of the ones I think a lot of people are like I can pay someone on Fiverr or something like that to do a $20 logo for me and I did that when I started the business um and we got to a point this year where I think when you're just looking at Instagram and you see people unboxing your products and you're just like that is embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, you know, all of my packaging just looks garbage. Um, and, and you don't want to watch that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was reaching that point where I was just like, gee, I think this might be a good investment for me to get a professional to completely rebrand for me. Um, and I had Laura at Obscurio do that for me. And gosh, she did such a good job. And between the rebrand the new logo, she designed all of the packaging and everything like that, all of the colours. If you look at my Instagram, that even just sort of, um, she said, these are the colours, this is the colour palette that I think you could work with that matches your logo and I think it matches the style of your customers. And she did such a good job of just identifying who my customers were and what they relate to. And so she's the one that sort of said, this is how the grid could look. Instead of just pink, let's add some of these tropical warm tones. Um, so that was a, I can't recommend that enough, like pay a professional to do a logo and it's not just the logo, there should be a whole package of, you know, all of your tags, the Instagram, the social media and all of that, pull all of that together because it just, um, for me, I've always been really reluctant to be involved with um, the media, I guess, and PR opportunities because I was just like, I don't want people from magazines looking at my branding because I'm embarrassed. Um, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to approach them, to send my photos to them. But now that I've got a professional photography, I've got a really professional looking brand package. It's a lot easier for me to be told, hey, it's time for us to reach out to Heritage Media or whatever. Um, so I feel a lot better about the way the brand presents now. So that was definitely a worthwhile investment. Um, and I've got like a virtual assistant now and oh, so, so 
helpful having someone else helping with all of those things in the background. Yes, um, I think I think everyone you know, every business owner who starts from scratch can relate to that critical point where you realize that it's time to, you know, start putting money back into, you know, um, investing in people or products or services that can take your business to that next level. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in that, you know, your business is limited to what you can do on your own and the look and the feel. Um, yeah, so I think it's very, very relatable what you're saying and excellent advice because it, it is that concept, isn't it? It's like you might save money, but then yeah. are you confident, are you comfortable, and are you willing to put yourself out there in the same way that, you know, when you have yeah. that professional look and feel that you feel confident to put yourself out there in the world yeah. and say, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. Yeah, and I mean, because it's not, it becomes counterproductive if you're trying to grow a business, but you're too, you're putting those limitations on yourself. (laughs) You know, I want the business to grow, but gee, I'm so ashamed of how it looks that I don't actually want to put myself out there. You can't grow if you're scared of what you're offering, basically, if you don't feel completely confident putting it out there. So this has helped me immensely. Totally. And you're so lucky. It sounds like you found the perfect person, you know, also on the first go. Sometimes it's multiple tries, you know, the you, you have to keep going with your logo designer or, you know, find someone else because it just doesn't work out the first time. Or as you grow through your business journey, you know, um, it gets more and more refined and you get more and more polished as you probably have a bit more um, capital to be able to invest in those areas, but also as you mature as a brand and realize what's really working and what isn't for your customers. And a lot of that is just contact and the other people you're around um, who you can sort of talk to because I know with the rebrand, I had no idea where to start with that. And then one of my friends rebranded and I loved the look and just everything that came together for her rebrand. And I was like, do you you think you'd be able to put me in touch with who did that? Because your brand looks amazing now. And even though her brand does look completely different to mine, she's selling a completely different product. Um, She sort of talked me through what the process was and then made those connections with the designer and, I spoke to her and I was like, you know what? I'm completely confident that she understands what it is I'm after. Um, she spent a lot of time going through my Instagram since that's where most of my business is run. And she was looking at comments from my customers, you know, the comments they leave me. She was asking me when they write to you and say that they love the bag, what are the sorts of words they're using? And she took all of that information. And yeah, so I felt really confident sort of, handing everything over to her and just trusting her vision. And I think that's really important because if you have any hesitations or reservations about the outcome, like it's a lot of money to sort of outlay and then not trust the vision of the person working with you. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, that's all created in exactly what you're saying, like the build up to the actual work being done and delivered is how do you feel about the process beforehand? How do you feel about the onboarding process, the conversations you're having about how they're going to represent what you're doing and how they're going to deliver the vision that you have 
or exceed you know you know take that vision to the next level um it's such a contribution and such a gift that I do encourage everyone listening to like keep going with that um uh research phase if you want to call it that like when you realize you need to invest in something new whether it's branding or a website or whatever to keep going until you find the person that you feel really confident will be able to deliver or to do what you're describing which is you know the beauty I think one of the best parts of social media is we we get to see the creativity from all over the world now we're not limited to just working with people in our neighborhood or area or country so you could find an amazing graphic um, designer who's in another country but can deliver what you require yeah yeah absolutely and we're so lucky we can sort of ask other people about the experience and look at examples of their work and all of that because that was what really sold me on Laura was, I was seeing examples of her work and I just loved everything she was doing. But also what you said about the onboarding process is just, um, she asked me so many questions, like it was so comprehensive. She had this whole onboarding workbook. Yeah. It was really long. Like I can remember it took me about three hours to fill it out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was just like, wow, this is thorough. And I loved it because like I got to just, talk and talk about my business there was so much information a lot of the questions she was asking me I wouldn't have anticipated her needing to ask those questions Mm. that she did and I was like this is so thorough and I just really appreciate it because she's doing such a deep dive I I think there's a real risk and if someone just says yeah just leave it with me and they don't ask those questions they don't get to know your brand it's oh you're gonna have a really good result here are they just going to present you with something they perhaps done 20 times previously with different clients yes um yes what she has produced for me is completely unique and original it's not like anything else she's done for anybody any of her other clients so that's wonderful that is amazing and are you using um in terms of technology and to you know make yourselves are you using e-commerce like shopify or is it more of a personal you are shopify yeah Yeah. we're all on shopify um and then whatever the instagram based shop (laughs) yeah amazing isn't it what you can do um from a phone and a laptop these days <laughs> oh it's frightening I'm just like oh god if I ever lose this phone um, <laughs> I, I, I worry about that that's a real nightmare point for me so it's also yeah make sure everything is backed up and all of the double triple security yes. checks and all of that what's the plan for the future We're, what are you looking at what's your vision going forward Oh, gosh, we're constantly asking that. (laughs) I think we've reached a point now where we do, and I say we because I feel like there's a little team of contractors and we're all working together on this now. Um, It's not the royal we. We've been talking a lot at the moment about it's time to start, now that I'm comfortable with it and how the brand's most, we need to start getting into um, magazines and that sort of stuff. We haven't really been in that um whether it's interviews or whether it's um featuring 
going in their shopping guides and style fashion guides and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, that's what we're looking at. And I was meaning to ask, so you talked about how this year, so you've been in business for two years, is that correct? Yeah, just over two years. Just over two years. I think we kicked things off. And this year that you were saying has actually been a great year was also the year of COVID. (laughs) So how has that gone for your business? You obviously have still done well. Uh, Do you think it's actually helped rather than hindered? Or what what trends or patterns have you seen? Um, We're actually trying to work that out. Flamingos, and again, they were monstrously popular. Like 
I had sort of set an estimate for how many I thought would sell. We doubled that. Wow. Um, and then the next month we did what we called a small batch return, which was a bunch of old designs that we released in 2018, 2019. And I'd always said, these bags won't be coming back. <laughs> you know, we've done them a couple of times now. We're not going to do them again. Um, but we had a lot of new customers who were saying, I love an opportunity to buy this Ibis bag, the unicorn bag. And I was just, what if I negotiated with the Atelier to do a smaller um, run of each design? Because the Atelier was really struggling. A lot of their clients had closed down and weren't ordering with them. And I was like, I wonder if we can sort of negotiate with them to do this smaller run of bags. Because um, I didn't, I wasn't sure that we have enough orders from customers to meet those MOQs, the medium mm. order quantities. Mm-hmm. And so we negotiated with the Atelier and they said, yes, like if you only order 10 bags of each design, we're fine with that right now because they weren't getting a lot of orders. Um, and in the end, we actually, we didn't need to do those small batches. We surpassed the regular minimum order quantities. That's amazing. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, that, it really surprised me because I was just like, well, I don't think we'll get enough. Everybody's already got the unicorn. They've already got the sausage job they wanted. But no, we, we, again, had a really good run of orders that month. And then we released the cats, which went absolutely nuts. Like I said, we sold like over 150 of these cat bags. So we just had a run of really good designs, um, I think. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And, and I guess with business, kind of like what you were saying uh, you get to the point where you reach this level of, you know, how many times do you think something might be a fluke before you realise you're actually, you know, what you're doing or you you have certain yeah. parameters in place to create that success and it's not yeah. a guessing game each time. And so you're becoming more solid in that foundation of, you know, yeah. what your business is and what's working and you can have those minimum orders and that minimum income coming in yeah and it goes from like a new business or a startup where you're not quite sure how it's going to go and if you're going to make it to to you know not not living in that doubt of whether or not it's going to be something that's working in the future or not yeah I mean I definitely still feel a lot of insecurities every time I release a new design um there's always that sort of I think it will do well, but, like, I'm not 100% sure. But normally, I think if you know who your customers are and you know your audience, and I do, um, I've got, like, I think of a lot of my customers as just being friends. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. For better or worse, but we've sort of got quite a good relationship that way and, you know, paying attention to these people, I think sometimes they're referred to as like your your avatar customer, yeah, who is yes, your ideal customer. Yes, yeah. And if someone was to say that to me, like point to your avatar customer and I could tell you 50 different people who I'm like, all of these people, and they're not all exactly the same person, obviously. They're all very unique individuals, but they've got some sort of common um, ground that makes me think, yeah, that's, that's who this bag is for. Um, and so I can sort of guess, yeah, this design is going to work with these core group of people and I think it will sell really well with them. And even if they don't end up buying it this month, they'll buy a design next month. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, you sort of, if you know your customer base and all of that, it's a lot easier to make decisions based on their buying habits and what designs they like and all of that. So yeah, know who you're selling to. I think that's great advice and information. Um, Are you surrounded by very many other business owners, entrepreneurs who are uh, selling products like yourself or are you kind of doing this on your own a little bit? (laughs) No, no. um, I've definitely got several of my closest girlfriends who I didn't necessarily meet them through business, but whether they were already in business or they've since started businesses, yeah, a lot of my closest girlfriends are actually doing similar lines of work. They're selling their own products and stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, obviously, through all of this, you make new friends that are doing the same things. And it's really important to have these people around because apart from exchanging ideas and all of that, sometimes you just need to sit back and say, gee, I'm really frustrated about this particular thing that happened today. And um, just being able to casually discuss it and sort of vent a bit is very helpful. Um, and they'll provide feedback. They're also a bouncing board for ideas. Do you think this would work if I did this? Um, I know a lot of people, other business women selling things, come to me about payment plans. Mm. Um, because that's something that... So I have Afterpay set up on my shop. Very few people use it. Right. Um, I've found, which is interesting. And I think it's because possibly it's the price point of my bags. Um, my bags range anywhere from 400 to $500 Australian. Um, so even with Afterpay dividing that by four, those price points might still be too high. Right. Um, yeah. So my payment plans are a little bit more flexible. It's a lot more work for me. And I always say that to people. I'm like, I just, I get a request for a payment plan. Um, I then have to set up the invoice and I have to send that out. I'm the one that's always chasing up mm-hmm. that money. Mm-hmm. Payments. So it creates a lot of work. But I would also say about 75% of my customers use payment plans. Right. Um, so... There's pros and cons to doing something like that, but um, I can remember talking with a business strategist and she was saying to me, I think the end goal needs to be that you're not offering payment plans because it's obviously, like one of the downfalls of those payment plans, it's not like Afterpay where I am paid that chunk of money and Afterpay are chasing the debt. Yeah, yeah. It's a direct risk, yeah. I'm paid X amount um, and so I'm constantly waiting for those funds to come in. Um. I forgot where I was going with that point, but yeah. So you're bearing all the the risk of that um, payment plan. Yeah. And it's a manual manual (laughs) follow-up. It's not automated like Afterpay. Exactly. So we're constantly chasing money. So there's pros and cons, but for me, again, I know my audience and my customers aren't a bunch of rich people that can just spend $500 on a handbag, you know, but they realize the value of what I'm offering and they want to be part of that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> they take out these payment plans and that's why I will never remove payment plans from my business because I want, again, my guys are expensive. I realize that and there's reasons for that. Like everybody's ethically paid. Um, everyone's paid well and all of that. 
Um, but yeah, so just because they are expensive doesn't mean people can necessarily afford them straight away. So we'll always offer those payment plans just to make it, you know, normal people that aren't rich can still have a piece of this. Yeah, that's amazing. And so that sounds like a real a place of real passion that you're coming from where you're doing it, you know, it's not just about the money, it's about um, letting other people have a piece of this, you know, unique and very kind of niche yeah. taste uh, product that you would want and to allow other people yeah. like you to ha- have one too. Yeah, and that's it for me. Like I obviously I'm someone that has always taken advantage of a payment plan if I can see one, you know, like I'm saying, I've been a student, I was on scholarship, and I still want to own nice things. I don't want to purchase, you know, a $20 thing from a cheap shop where dubious sort of origin. I like buying sustainably and ethically, and the reality is when you are shopping with ethical, sustainable, all of that sort of stuff, quite often it is a higher price point. Um, so I don't think people should be priced out of shopping ethically and sustainably, basically. Yeah, couldn't agree more. When, as you've gone through this process, um, maybe especially at the beginning, did you have a lot of naysayers or people telling you this wasn't going to work? <laughs> I can't remember anyone directly saying that is a shit idea in my language. <laughs> I don't remember anyone saying, nah, don't do that. I had a couple of family members who were reserved, I think. They were a little bit sort of cautious, especially because the effort that went into me returning to university and doing that master's degree and the setup involved in all of that, for me to just walk away from it was a bit of a shock for some people. Um, especially because I also have a Masters of History from many, many years ago, um, which, again, I walked away. I, I completed that degree, but I've never used history in a page sense. <laughs> um, so, you know, these family members were delighted when I said, I'm going to do criminology. It's a lot better career path. Here are some direct career options that I'll be able to walk straight into, unlike the history degree. So they were really pleased by that. Um, and so then I was just like, you know what, I'm going to quit the Masters of Criminology and I'm going to sell handbags. And it was just, <laughs> what? <laughs> you have the experience to do this. It's a very neat idea, Jasmine. You know, like, who's going to buy a wicker flamingo bag? And I was just, I have my suspicions. There were people who were like the wicker flamingo bags. Um, so I was able to sort of say, look, in the past, when I had this skirt business and I was collecting other people's wicker handbags and vintage handbags, I can just remember that people always commented on the bags. Mm. And if I was out shopping or if I was out with friends, people always stopped and, you know, they ignored the pink hair, they ignored the pin-up dress, all of this, and they say, that handbag is amazing. <laughs> and that's why I was, again confident that yeah it's niche but nobody else is really doing what I want to do um so yeah there were were some sort of naysayers I think maybe one or two people were 100% full throttle yeah what a brilliant idea and then most people were um humoring me maybe (laughs) 
I'm not sure what the real feelings there were. It was just sort of, okay, well, you seem to know what you're talking about. Good luck. That sort of behaviour. So a couple of people that were full support, a couple of people who were a little bit reserved and then just a lot of people that I guess were like, well, best wishes with that. (laughs) So for anyone else right now who's either just starting out or they are maybe hearing about how you got to where you are today and wondering what it would take to take that first step for themselves. Is there any advice or what would you say to them? Do your research (laughs) is all I would say to that. It's so important to know that there is an audience out there that you're shopping to. And you see this advice that says create your avatar customer, your ideal customer. And I think it's it's quite hard to do that sometimes. And if it's too hard to know exactly who you're offering this product for, you do want to sort of ask yourself if there really is an audience for it, I guess. And the other bit of advice, and this is from personal experience with a business that I went to into with a friend, which flopped completely and magnificently. It's glorious. It was such a bad time. <laughs> um, don't be cynical about what you're doing. Like it needs to be something that you genuinely believe in your product. You need to love it yourself and you need to know the people that want this product because if you're just sort of like, gee, this person's doing this and it's doing really well, I might give it a punt as well. Like, if you don't know that product, if you don't know the customer and all of that, it, it's going to flop. People know. They can spot when you're not into your own product. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say is just don't copy what somebody else is doing because they're having a lot of success with it. It's got to be something that you personally believe in. So that's my advice there. Yes. Love it. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Um, We can't wait to share this episode and all of the links to your Instagram and to your website are below so people can go check out your beautiful branding and designs and your unique offering Um, and wishing you so much success, Jazz, and hoping to see these bags grace many magazines and many, um, you know, many wonderful media and PR opportunities thank you so much okay take care And that wraps up another episode of the Business Whisperer podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Your support means the world to me. Please remember, if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and leave us a five-star review so that other people can find these episodes and get some value out of it. If there is a guest that you would like us to interview on the show, please send me a message or send me an email to thebusinesswhisperer podcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to see you soon.